Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Strange Pathways. I am your host, Scott Mort. I am having just a wonderful Sunday. I hope you are as well. Spent last night with a good, good friend of mine from way, way back, Mike Kovacs. Uh, Mike, Mike listens to the show and he says it's kind of interesting hearing me every week. And I'm sure he, he realizes there's podcast Scott and there's real Scott. It's not that this isn't the real Scott. Different situations require for different personalities. And this is the personality that I put on for this. And anytime that I speak about the paranormal, this is the personality I take. I believe it's something very serious. In my private life, for lack of a better word, I am very, very jovial. I It's... I am, I'm a prankster. I'm the fun guy. But it was, it was wonderful hanging out with Mike last night. He got to meet my wife. They got along so well. And if you get the chance, fun little fact, we went to a music college <laughs> years and years and years ago, Minneapolis, Minnesota. And as Mike is one for saying, we're the survivors. But if you get the chance, I'm going to link it to you. Mike Kovacs and the Postmodern Tribe, just some of the most soul-lifting music you will ever hear in your life. Please, please, take the time, give it a listen. On to the tales. Ryan Mountain, Alabama, April 1975. John Womack was just an average man having an average day. Womack was driving through the gorgeous Ryan Mountain in Alabama. Whenever a three-foot ball of fire dropped into the road several feet in front of his car, it starts to roll down the road. John, much braver than I am, John follows this little three-foot ball of fire several feet. And then the ball of fire leaves the road, rolls into a meadow. John puts the car in park, stops it, gets out. And that little three-foot ball of fire rises up into the air and disappears. But that's whenever a huge object appeared. The ball of fire flies up. The huge silver object just appears. It's a disc, shallow upper and lower domes. About 150 feet in diameter, but really only about 50 foot high. It's surrounded by a yellowish-blue glow. This beam of light moves 
not quickly, very slowly towards the ground and spreads out. The UFO begins to descend. John Womack decides it's it's time to leave. And that's whenever the quick beam, a very fast beam of red light strikes him in the face. John Womack loses consciousness. He wakes up aboard this UFO. He's sitting in a padded chair. On his head is a metal dome, a helmet. This helmet has wires protruding from it. And he's hooked up to a giant, what he calls, computer machine. He's, he, he thinks he's dreaming, but he soon realizes that everything around him is very, very real. It's not fuzzy like a dream. All the devices are very, very intricate. That's whenever John Womack notices the beings. Not one type of being. Not two types of being, but three types of being. There were these two, what he felt were the leaders. Noseless faces, mouths like a porpoise. There are three giants, eight foot tall, hairy torsos, ugly, vicious looking faces. And then there are six Five-foot-tall creatures, six crab-like arms, two antenna, flipper feet, beards, bodies covered with green, warty lumps, and grinning. Malevolent, frightening grins. John Womack turns his head, and he notices that a large video screen completely covers one of the walls. Now those leaders, the noseless faces, mouths like a porpoise, one of the leaders comes up to him, holds up a small box-like device that's connected to the computer, and it begins to translate the leader's language. The leader tells John Womack that they're beings. They have emotions just like humans. They tell him, John, you're not going to be harmed. And they, they then take his hand and shake it. He's told, oddly enough, that demons are responsible for all the evil and suffering in the world. But these these aliens, these creatures, they don't have to worry about the demons. They use a pill that keeps them away. John is handed this small white pill. He looks at it opens his mouth, takes it, and it instantly dissolves. 
He swallows that combination of foam and a little bit of powder. And suddenly, John has never felt happier. He's never felt more positive. He is filled with, with love and joy. He's glowing inside. These aliens said that what John was experiencing was a scientific exorcism and the purest possible experience in life. That experience being free from demons. The only thing left inside of his mind, love and joy. John's now at ease. He starts talking a little bit more to this leader. He wants to know more about these creatures, these entities. John's told that their planet is 40 years out. They live on food pellets. Their ships are propelled by solar energy. And they have been studying the Earth for thousands and thousands of thousands of years. They show him a plant. It's this, it's this plant that's growing out of a pot that has octopus-like tentacles. It's moving. It's, it's almost as if this plant is half animal. It's got a massive trunk, three foot thick. Hanging yellow balls of flowers. An orange crown on the top that looks like a honeycomb. And some of these creatures are playing a little game with the plant. They walk close to it. The tentacles kind of reach out for it and then they run away. John's curious about why there's so many different aliens. And the leader tells John that the giants and the crab-like aliens were rescued by them. They were, they were creatures on the verge of extinction. John's then unhooked from the computer. And he's allowed to take a tour of the ship. He's, he's even given a view of the alien solar system. The alien said that humans were interesting to study, but they're miserable, greedy, violent, horrible creatures. They told him that the American government is evil, selling out humanity to demons, and that Earth's only salvation is in inventing our own anti-demon pills and using solar energy. These aliens said they've been watching us for a long time, ever since the times of Moses. John said, please help us. The aliens said, we can't. You have to help yourselves. We can't help you because we would need to use force. 
Their time on Earth was limited. And they would have to leave soon. The aliens showed John a few more things. A device to see the complete atomic structure of any object. Another device for seeing any living being's internal organs. Other machines, but he didn't understand what they were. They Even explaining it to John didn't make any sense. The leader then goes, John, would you like to travel with us? And they kind of present him on this weird chair. John sits down. And this cone-shaped object descended on him. And lights begin flashing around John. And he hears this rushing train-like sound. Almost like a tornado is coming close to him. He, he saw this multicolored world in orbit around a massive sun. Some of these planets were covered in snow and ice. Others closer to that sun were tropical with vast jungles and oceans. That light became smaller and smaller and smaller until he woke up on earth again. Whenever he woke, he was in the sitting position on the ground. He looks up and he sees that UFO and it shoots out of view, leaving him behind. There's a few interesting tidbits in the story of course the the part that I find the most interesting in an extremely weird story is the demon part that demon part that's that's one of those things that are they just using a word that we know are these demons maybe they're not fallen angels maybe they're some sort of psychic parasite that feeds off us once again i talked about the area 51 caller on the old coast to coast am show and i did have a comment from lovely listener cern storm runner thank you so much And yes, someone did come forward and say that, yes, I made it up. Now, whether that's actually the real person or not, I don't know. But even that person who says, I made up the Area 51 call, that call about creatures that feed off chaos and fear, that's what these aliens are. Parasites. Even the guy who faked it said he was a little worried whenever that Art Bell show got knocked off the air. That maybe, maybe he hit a little too close to the truth. 
So I do find that that thought of having some sort of pill that would act almost as if it was a vaccine against demons or a cure for demons. Once again, it's it's just the word. I I don't think that there are actual fallen angels. And hey, maybe I'm wrong, but I don't think that if it, a fallen angel, I'm not saying there aren't falling angels, but if there there is a fallen angel, I don't think that there's a pill in this universe that would get rid of it. To get rid of that, that seems to be a point of faith. But the other thing that I find very, very interesting, something that I see time and time and time again, is the use of technology that seems very, very far flung, but is actually just a few years ahead. Something, uh, a, a machine that shows the atomic structure? Well, that's not quite, but that's kind of an electron microscope. Something that shows the internal organs? Well, that's an MRI. I mean, when was the MRI invented? I just paused the recording and looked it up. Two years later, the first full body scan of a human being, 1977. So really, technology that's just a few years ahead. I find that very, very interesting. If you're so inclined, our Instagram, our Twitter our Facebook page, we're going to have images that John Womack drew of the giant, the crab creature, the leader, the plant, the computer, the craft. We'll have those images up there. Please head over, check those out. Our next tale takes us to the late 1980s, Memphis, Tennessee. This, of course, a well that I go to very, very often. Phantomsandmonsters.com. It's fantastic. This is, this is a police officer in Memphis, Tennessee. He was on special assignment. Now, he's decided he does not want to come forward. And with the attitude that the public seems to have towards this sort of thing. I don't blame him. It was around 2 a.m., a clear summer night, and it's one of those nights that is just so, so, so humid. There's no relief because the sweat on your body, it can't even evaporate. You can't get a full lung full of air. You're your best chance get into some air conditioning and just just try to power through it now this police officer he's not in a cruiser he's in his own personal vehicle the tops down the radio's playing but he's still in his uniform that includes his bulletproof vest 
and his gun belt. And I got to imagine, even with the top down on a humid night, this poor, poor man must have been miserable. The officer was heading south on Covington Pike, doing a pretty good rate of speed. He's the only one on the road. It's 2 a.m. There's a part of the road that connects the Rally Bartlett area to the Berclair area. And it's, it's one of those roads that's slightly elevated. It's, it's above the ground level. The fields that are to the left and to the right, a little bit lower. Running through this section of land is the Wolf River. That's a little river, connects up to the Mississippi. Now, if you're from this area, the officer says that it's, it's called the Wolf River Bottoms. As the officer is driving, out of the side of his eye to his right, something was moving very, very quickly towards the front of his car, and he slams on the brake. In his mind, he's got to be thinking, a deer, a bear. I live in Pennsylvania. I know this feeling. It's just you see something, you hit the brakes. The officer comes to a screeching halt right in the middle of the road. Not more than seven feet from the officer's bumper. He sees it. They both freeze. And they stare at each other. What the officer is seeing is about three, four foot tall, but it's crouched. So if it was standing, it might have been closer to five foot tall. But it's, it's very natural in that crouched position. The officer feels like this may be its normal way of standing. The head, in comparison to the body, is big. The body, skinny, slender. It's this dark gray, greenish collar. It's, it's almost the color of an alligator, but the skin on it looks like a human's. Dark, large, oval eyes on each side of the upper part of its face, running slanted from the top portion of its head to the midsection of its head. It was, it was as if the eyes were pointing in to where you would expect the nose to be. But there's no distinct nose. Nothing human-like. Below the eyes was a very thin, dark, black line. The officer assumes that it's, it's this creature's mouth. It, it doesn't like look human though it's the line runs straight across the lower face in front and then turns upward slightly and then back on the head no ears the body and chest rounded like a human's but very small almost like a child's the arms longer disproportionate to the body skinny have an almost insect type look to them the hands 
almost completely folded at the wrist joint, the legs long. He doesn't really see the feet because it's so close. The bumper is obscuring the bottom half. But what he can see of these legs, they're thin, jointed, insect-like. He can see the chest. Slow, steady, breathing. No hair. No clothing. At least if if it was wearing clothing. It was skin tight. No tail. The, the officer doesn't even have time to be scared. That adrenaline kicks in. It takes off like a shot. And is gone. But the officer looks over. And he can still see this creature's outline. Moving in the night. Like a sprinter. Leaping over the guardrail. Onto the other side of the road. Down the embankment. Now, as I bet most cops would tell you whenever they know you're not recording them, this isn't the only strange incident that happened in his career. But it is the strangest. Never told anyone on the force. Only mentioned it to one friend. And that's sad. And that's sad couldn't share it really with anybody there for every for every one of these cases that come out just slightly like this i would bet there are more than hundreds i bet the numbers are in the thousands like we're we're only getting one out of every 1000 tales and i would say that's a conservative estimate We, as a society, have to end the stigma around reporting strange events. That's all there is to it. Police should be able to report events such as these without fear of losing their jobs. Pilots should be able to report UFOs without losing their jobs. People should be rewarded for the bravery of coming forward instead of derided, mocked. Recently, and I'm starting to come to the conclusion that that this is engineered. I'm doing research right now uh, for a long, long episode, a deep dive into Indrid Cold. And I listened to the report about Woodrow Derenberger meeting Indrid Colt. He, he sat down with a reporter. The reporter was kind, respectful. It was delivered in a legitimate way 
If that would have happened just 20 years later, they would have had the Twilight Zone music playing. They would have had that little, oh, guess what? This man saw that, that lilt into their voice. They would have let him tell his story. And then after it was done, they would pan over to the anchors and they'd laugh to each other, make some sort of cheeky little joke. It's engineered now. The people are made. The media makes people afraid to come forward whenever strange things like this happen. And they happen all the time. And it needs to end. Our last tale takes us to San Juan, Puerto Rico, April 6th, 1975. Now, if you happen to be living in San Juan at the time, or even sometimes reaching into Florida, you might have heard a radio station called WBMJ. Now, this this radio station was run out of a penthouse studio atop the Darlington Apartments. Disc jockey Willie Lopez was spinning albums that night. And at about 10.45 p.m., Lopez hears three knocks on the glass. Not the door, but the glass of the window that overlooked the terrace. Now, he's, he's kind of stunned by this because... There shouldn't be any way to get out to the terrace without using the door that's in the studio that he's in. That door's a few feet away from him. No one's come in. Lopez has not seen anyone use it. So he's kind of freaked out a little bit. He he gets out there and he sees what he describes like a cloudscape moving quickly around the outside of the large window. It's, it's a luminous figure. It's, it's glowing. And it runs and hides behind one of the parapets atop the hotel structure. He's... He's a little freaked out. He calls a friend that lives in the same building. But the friend doesn't arrive very quickly. So Willie Lopez decides to call the manager, the station manager, Jose Manuel. Lopez goes back to the window. About 60 feet away, no more than three or four feet above the apartment, that penthouse apartment, is a white, yellowish white 
luminous object. It's a saucer, 40 feet in diameter. And it has this kind of, it was basically stationary. But it has this weird little rocking motion to it. Lopez is terrified. He closes the curtain. And he gets on the air. I have tried and I have tried and I have tried to find this audio. Maybe nobody was recording that night. Maybe it's lost the ages. But he gets on the air and tells everyone listening to the radio station at that time exactly what has happened. Willie Lopez is terrified. He's thinking this may be the last thing he ever gets to say. Willie Lopez was so terrified that he pulled the curtains from the window rod. Finally, Jose Manuel arrives. Both him and Lopez go out to the terrace. On the floor of the terrace, it had been waterproofed with tar. And that tar was very very hot. It was all gooey. It was sticking to their shoes like heat, like radiation had been applied to it. Willie Lopez. Willie Lopez was traumatized. He was he was so badly shocked by what he had seen. Willie Lopez had to be taken to the local hospital and sedated. He had lost it. Two days later, two days later, this isn't over. Same radio station. Another flying saucer glowing flies over the station. Popular musician, uh, a singer named Wilkins, he was driving his car through the area. He saw it. Wilkins saw this craft. And then the lights went out. A large part of the metropolitan area of San Juan suffered a power blackout. I would love to hear. I don't even care if it's in Spanish. I know enough Spanish that I I make the joke. I could beg on the streets for change. I know that much Spanish. But I would love to hear Willie Lopez on the air telling his listeners... If you happen to have access to that audio, please let me know. Hit me up. Strangepathwaysmail at gmail.com. One of the most fascinating cases I've heard.
a DJ reporting on air as it's happening. I would love to hear it. Thank you once again for joining us here this week on Strange Pathways. Once again, do me a favor. Go check out my buddy Mike Kovacs and the Postmodern Tribe. I'll leave a link to his Spotify right there on the YouTube, right there on all the podcasts. It'll be front and center above everything else. If you'd like to, check out our Twitter, Pathway Strange, TikTok, and Instagram, Strange Pathways Podcast, our Facebook Going to have a few pictures from the cases up there today. If you'd like to email me, please feel free to do so. Strangepathwaysmail at gmail.com. Go over to that YouTube, like, comment, subscribe, hit that little bell. I'd love to get the subscriber numbers up. I'd love to get that algorithm going. I know it doesn't really mean anything bank account wise, but man... Man, I would love to see those numbers go up. Be sure to go out there, tell a friend, tell a family member. You know you've got somebody that would love this. Thank you. From the bottom of my heart, thank you once again for listening. Take care of yourselves and each other. (laughs) 